is Naomi. We're 40-something moms and first cousins who know what it's like to veer off the path assigned to us. We've juggled motherhood, marriage, college, and career as we questioned our faith traditions while exploring new identities and ways of seeing the world. Without any maps for either of us to follow, we've had to figure things out as we go and appreciate that detours and dead ends are essential to the path. Along the way, we've uncovered a few insights we want to share with fellow travelers. We want to talk about the questions we didn't know who to ask and the options we didn't know we had. So whether you're feeling stuck or already shaking things up, we are here to cheer you on and assure you that the best is yet to come. Welcome to Uncovered, Life Beyond. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Uncovered, Life Beyond. This is Naomi. And this is Rebecca. So today we're going to talk about everything from coverings to camis and crocs. For many of us who grew up in the plane culture, it can feel like we're playing this game of catch up. And today we're going to take a stab at talking about the ways in which we were expected to dress and maybe even more about the ways we were conditioned to think about dress. And we think that maybe the way we think about it can affect us now and make things perhaps needlessly difficult, sometimes like years later. And for the record, this is not a session of what not to wear. You know, I was lurking on a Reddit thread about advice for college and someone was asking this question. And it struck me that it's a universal question on one hand, but but particularly relevant for those of us uh, with an Amish Mennonite conservative Anabaptist background, or there are other backgrounds uh, that, that could identify with this too. The question was posed, I feel like I'm bumbling around looking like a lost high schooler. I know part of that is getting used to a campus, but Like, I feel like I wear high schooler clothes, t-shirt and jeans, and I want to look like I belong here. To avoid being an obvious freshman would be nice. But how do I get rid of the feeling that I look like a high schooler, an outsider? Or an ex-Mennonite. Exactly. (laughs) You take out high schooler, you can put in lots of other identities in there instead. So all of us have felt less than confident at some point about what is okay or acceptable to wear. And there are so many complicated feelings because of all the meaning that gets put onto clothing. So it can feel like it's related to our morality. We feel an element of social pressure. Uh, There's uncertainty about what's expected or appropriate. This is something that we not only feel on a college campus, but it can be going to a church, going to the store, going to a mom's group. So many occasions when we can have that sense of what do I wear in order to belong? Right. How do I feel comfortable about what I'm wearing? How do I feel like even confident? How do I feel confident? Yeah. And can I just say, And I think we need to recognize and appreciate this. 
Making the change if you're a woman is a much bigger deal than if you're a Mennonite man. For some reason, Mennonite men can fly under the radar all the time. And for a woman, when you're changing your appearance and your dress, you're putting your beliefs and identity on full display for others to judge. And I feel a little sheepish saying what I'm going to say next. So like, hang in there with me. Recently, recently in the last several years, I've seen Mennonite women wearing headbands and bandanas instead of coverings or veils. And, you know, some of them might wear t-shirts on top of cape dresses. And I kind of felt judgy about this. But then I realized men have been doing this type of thing for ages. I apologize if I judged you or you felt judged by me. Here's me offering my apology. And I'm going to suggest that we respect those wherever they find themselves who are grasping for whatever small amount of self-expression they might have access to, that I might have access to, that you might have access to. And, you know, leaving the culture entirely isn't always an option. And the whole social expectations that you are either in or out really is kind of a characteristic of a cult. It really gets heavy, doesn't it? It does. It does. And to add to the injustice of it, it strikes me that whether men wear off-the-rack clothing or handmade clothing like women do, women get the short end of the stick either way. Right. When you think about Amish communities where men don't wear off-the-rack clothing and they do wear handmade clothing, guess who's making that clothing? Right. It's the women in their lives that are making that for them. So when men in Beachy Amish churches switched, and this was before my memory, but I remember hearing people talking about it because it had happened either before I was born or before I was cognizant. And, and they were talking about making that change from broadfall pants to off the rack clothing. Right. And I can only imagine what a relief that was for the women whose sewing tasks were now cut in half. Right. All they had to worry about for the men was the straight cut jackets now. That's right. That's right. But now they are in a situation where they go out in public and the men can blend right in. And women are the ones who bear the burden of distinction and, and, right. and showing what makes them distinctive. I don't know if I imagined it or not, but I remember being in public with males I was related to and getting the feeling like they didn't want to be seen with me. And maybe it was something else, or maybe they didn't want to feel marked by my presence. I don't think that is always imagined. I think that is a very real thing. Right. Yeah. So then... When those same individuals eventually changed, they could do it very gradually and they could do it kind of under the radar because, well, there's just not that much hanging on what they're wearing. It's not that remarkable. Right. So when women change, it ends up reflecting the beliefs of the man of the house and now the new church she is attending. 
which makes it all so much more fraught. When a woman's clothing changes, we are automatically assumed that we are going to display now a new set of beliefs, a new association, an identity. And we're conditioned to feel that we are carrying the emotional and spiritual load of displaying this change, knowing full well that we are observed. We are critiqued and we are condemned for it by those who once were our closest friends and even family. So not only are we faced with the disapproval of people we've been close to, maybe our entire lives, but we don't even have to hear them to know the conversations that are being had about us. I mean, we've all heard the criticisms about those who were making changes before us and sadly even probably participated in those conversations and again i'm sorry we've all been there we have we have well one of the benefits of being two decades out from making that change is that now we know that 10 years later the most vocal critics were going to be making the same change down the road the difference would be that nobody would even blink Yeah. So when I cut my hair, there was a family member who cried about it to me in front of a group. Mm -hmm. And 10 years later, when some of the other females did it, there were no tears. There was no big display of emotion. And I just remember sitting there thinking, really? Isn't it funny what we remember and what we forget? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as a Mennonite female... I always felt like I was being watched. I remember feeling like I was watched not only by those outside our community, but those even inside. I mean, you had to walk that fine line of not being outside the standards, at least not too far, but you still had that pressure of being cool. And for some reason, I remember often needing to field questions of why I dress differently from those on the outside. And that always exhausted me. I mean, I took things pretty seriously. And I had been told often enough that this was an opportunity to witness. And at some point, I was like, oh my gosh, that's just weird. But it was hard to reconcile the expectation even to witness with knowing that, yeah, that, that's weird. Isn't that interesting? When I think about that now, not only was that distinctive dress making you stand out or, or you know, making kind of creating that difference between you and, and others outside your church community, but it also framed it in a way that made it really hard to even have a genuine friendship with someone outside the community. If the only reason for you to have that conversation is to be a witness to them. It automatically puts an agenda on any relationship that you have. And such a heavy responsibility. Right. Right. I mean, it's, what 16-year-old female is equipped to witness based on what she's wearing? That's bad theology. That, that has been dictated to her. Yes. It's been dictated to her no matter what, like if she didn't, if she didn't, quote unquote, willingly do it. 
(laughs) She'd be, she'd be out, out the door. She'd be out of the house. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure. And when we are dressing by that external set of rules that's been imposed on us, we don't have time to think about our own preferences our own tastes, our comfort, like what our style is. Right. And so then when we do start to explore this for the first time, it feels really awkward. And I think it can be comforting to know that making these kinds of shifts or feeling like maybe I don't belong in a new environment is something that's shared by others. But also those of us with a background of distinctive religious dress can feel this in a very particular way. And right. Real. And 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 then there's also the the fear that maybe it's a guilty conscience. Well, and, there we go. Right. I mean, and that was heavy. The awkwardness and the discomfort can feel a lot like guilt. I think we're often we're encouraged to interpret it as guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And what if it's simply muscle memory? Right. Our bodies are so used to dressing a certain way. I mean, habits are real. (laughs) Habits are embodied. And when we change something that is so weighty, we're going to feel it in our bodies. Yeah. I mean, I remember sitting in church. I bet I left the Mennonites for 10 years already at that point. And I jerked and grabbed the back of my head, certain I had forgot my veil. And and I did. (laughs) (laughs) The funny part is, it's not about the guilt of not wearing it. It was all about muscle memory. Right. And it's amazing how long those impulses stay with us. Yeah. Well, and the horror of the female who showed up somewhere and did forget it. Right. Right. I remember one time it happened to me and I was told it wasn't big enough. That's why I forgot it. (gasps) Oh. Yeah. And we know because of, of the social all the social weight that's put on it. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, it is. So another way that we can feel guilty about making this change in our appearance is the issue of modesty and all the admonition we've been given about the need for dressing modestly because of men's inevitable tendency to lust. Absolutely. I think we sacrifice both ourselves and our young girls in the name of men's lust. And it needs to stop. It is not working. I don't know how we have created a system where men are literally in charge of everything, but their own bodies, their own emotions, and their own lust. I don't know how we think this is a good thing. And... Recently, I realized that nearly every verse in the Bible, if not every verse, referencing modesty is in fact talking about the way in which we spend money and flaunt our wealth. And somehow we have reduced talking about wealth and the way we live, and somehow we have reduced the conversation of modesty to a woman's body to a young girl's body and the way she dresses. I encourage you all to check out Bare Marriage if you haven't done so already. Sheila does a fabulous job talking about this, and we will include a link in the show notes. But 
her words have been so freeing to me personally and affirming. And it helped me make sense of the way I still find myself thinking about dress. Right. And I think an outgrowth of making modesty all about women's clothing and about protecting men from their own lust is then what we wear becomes a matter of personal safety, or it's thought to be a matter of personal safety, that somehow if we're wearing immodest clothes, we're inviting an attack on our personal safety. And it's ridiculous how much weight this concern carries when you consider the rampant incidents of incest and rape in plain communities. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but the documentary Sins of the Amish on Peacock does a phenomenal job telling the stories of women who have experienced these kinds of things. And it's just a taste of a much, much larger problem. And whether or not we have experienced that ourselves, we all don't have to look far at all within our network of family and friends to know so many people who have been dressed so modestly. And that has not stopped them from being attacked by the people closest to them. Right. And unfortunately, if you are truly worried about your safety, and I'm kind of a big advocate of this, actually, take a self-defense class. If if you do nothing else, take a good self-defense class and learn to be aware of your surroundings. I think there should be classes for men on how to treat women and how not to be. But unfortunately, we don't have access to that. So enroll yourself. Enroll the women you love, the girls you love in self-defense classes teach them to be aware of their surroundings. And I truly believe these two things will keep you far safer than any way you can possibly dress. If dress would keep people safe, we wouldn't have half the conversations we have about the harm that is done within Amish Mennonite communities and high demand religion. Women simply can't carry that responsibility. Absolutely. And when I think about being aware of our surroundings, implicit in that is trusting our gut. When something seems weird, when something seems weird, when something seems off, it probably is. Yes. And we don't need to feel responsible for the feelings of someone who's being creepy. And even if it's rude, even if it makes it awkward, we can trust our gut and do what we need to do to protect ourselves in a situation where our surroundings aren't safe. And unfortunately, so many of us have been taught not to trust our gut. Exactly. And to appease appease the men in our lives. And I think learning to trust yourself is the best gift you can possibly give yourself. The best gift. And you're so right, Neil, me. Like, I do not have to justify, I do not have to explain that gut feeling. All I have to do is listen to it. Exactly. So we've been talking about 
those difficult feelings that can come up around making this change, muscle memory that can feel like a guilty conscience. We can feel guilty for things like dressing immodestly or, you know, bringing on an attack. And so these are some of those very real fears um, that can accompany changing the way we dress. And I think it can be helpful to reframe the problem and more than advice about what to wear, more than fashion advice, it can be helpful to change the way we think about it. And so understanding what may be interpreted as a guilty conscience as muscle memory is one way to do this. But I think there are other ways to understand what's going on so that we can feel freer to be who we are and listen to our gut. Absolutely. And it's so loaded. I mean, when clothing is an expression of identity and belonging, when you start changing it up, when you dare change it up, it threatens the status quo of your membership within the family circle, within your church, and within the community. And that first person to fall out of line is a monumental risk. It's a threat to the whole social unit and structure. And as we talked about earlier, as others follow, it often becomes more acceptable. So obviously, it has nothing to do with sin, and it has everything to do with a shift in structures. And also the social stigma of a family member who is perceived as being out of line, who is maybe the first one to break away from the church the rest of the family belongs to. And so there's that when clothing is so fraught, has so many layers of meaning, when someone changes something, it's taken as a reflection on what they think about everybody they've been associating with. Right, right. Because we can all think of the family picture where everybody is wearing plain conservative clothing, probably matching. And then there's one or two family members that are clearly no longer a part of it. And we know the sense of like, oh, how sad. We know the narrative that goes with that black sheep who's left the fold. Because it's not just about not wearing the clothing, it's about what that clothing says about their fitting in with the family's collective identity. It says everything about the family's structure, the family unit, and... and the cohesiveness of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and many people put pride and stock into keeping their entire family looking the same, dressing the same being at the same church. That, that's a big deal. And really, it's it's tribal conversations that were had to keep people in the church. And we simply take many of those conversations with us. And, and I think it's so important. Um, belonging and fitting in are not the same thing. And I think our upbringing conflated those two. Brene Brown says so many wise and wonderful things, but one thing she said was, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, 
doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And I think those spaces and those communities are so rare. And I think we need to be intentional about building those spaces. And I think the best way to build those spaces is to simply show up as you are. Because when you show up as you are, it invites other people to do the same. Absolutely. But I don't think we get a lot of practice in this. The idea of needing to fit in in order to belong is so ingrained in us that we don't know how else to be sometimes. And until, of course, we find that the cost of fitting in means we have to abandon ourselves, we have to repress so much of ourselves that we realize I'm going to die if I stay here. Like I cannot, I, this is, this is suffocating. I cannot go on here. We learn that the cost is too high, but that doesn't mean that we have a lot of experience or a lot of practice of being who we are when that is different from the people around us. And talk about muscle memory, (laughs) talk about embodiment, that feeling take some getting used to. And I think being aware of that and understanding some of that awkwardness as maybe learning how to belong rather than fit in can be really valuable. Well, absolutely. Because I mean, most of our church experiences would have insisted that unless we fit in or dress according to church standards, we don't belong. We can't belong. So most of our experience And practice would have been doing the exact reverse of belonging. We know what everyone said about the ones who didn't fit in. And we all know how uncomfortable that conversation is with the preacher or the preacher's wife who thinks you're dressing outside of the church standards or that your covering is too small or that your dress is too short or too long or the color of your hose is wrong. I mean, we need one conversation like that, two conversations like that, and it is everything but life-giving. It is everything but belonging, and it's all about fitting in. Absolutely, and in those conversations is when you learn about all the ways that you are causing men to lust or you are bringing your own destruction upon yourself or on and on and on. All the threats. All the things. All the things. All the things. All the things. So finding out what makes us unique as individuals and finding out how to be both ourselves and still connect with others is a skill. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning that or trying to learn that. Right. And I think whether it's on a college campus or whether it is in the grocery store, we've all entertained this thought that our friend had in our original question of being a bumbling high schooler. We're just a bumbling ex, whatever we happen to be. Or now instead of being beachy, we're conservative Mennonite. You know, what whatever the shift is. And To be honest, what many of us are experiencing maybe in our 20s, 30s, even 40s, (laughs) the rest of the world had experienced when they were 13. The rest of the world is experiencing at 13. And 
I think when we start to recognize that maybe we need to rewire that knee-jerk criticism of ourselves and others, it is freeing. I mean, it's so deeply ingrained to think a certain way about clothing and about other women and make so easy assumptions about them. Maybe instead of judging their taste or morality or, you know, whatever, why not just instead ask, you know, what is that t-shirt hurting? Is it hurting anybody? It probably isn't. And I think it's so easy to become the voice of that preacher's wife and literally do to others as was done to us. That muscle memory, those ingrained ways of thinking about the world that hangs on so long. And even after we consciously turn away from it, it's there. Those scripts can pop up so quickly. But I agree. It is so freeing to go, "Ah, maybe it's laundry day and they ran out of clothes. (laughs) You know, who cares? It is not, as my kids would say, mom, it's not that deep. I like it. (laughs) So on the lines of mom, it's not that deep, which is now my favorite phrase. I think something else that truly is not that deep is the many, many times we've heard purity culture disguised as concern for one's, quote, self-respect. That whole phrase, I feel, has got so much mileage, and I think it totally needs to be reframed. Instead, I've kind of tried to ask myself the question, what's appropriate? There are different types of clothing that simply are appropriate for different occasions. Bare marriage does a great job of talking about this, but it's not a moral issue. It doesn't have to be. We don't have to see it as a moral issue. It can be like putting on an apron because you're going to be baking something in the kitchen. It doesn't have to be an expression of everything you believe. It doesn't have to bear the weight of the morality of everybody around you either. Right. Maybe maybe our clothing doesn't define what I think about Jesus or if I have any self-respect. In fact, maybe changing my clothing is because I'm learning to have some self-respect. And I think it's so much about what we and others read into it. We like to have our absolutes and and maybe again, like your kids say, it's not that deep. I mean, the way people view a sundress in 2023 is far different than how it was viewed in 1823. Or ruffles on men's clothing. Right. It meant something very different in 1823 than it does in 2023. Or even men wearing wigs. Exactly. And it's so it, it's so much about the context and and how it's read. Because clothing does send a message, but not necessarily about the self-respect of the person wearing it, not necessarily about their worthiness as a human being or their moral uprightness. Right, right. And I will say, since we're talking about college, I have been in classes where you were asked to do a presentation and the expectation was given that you should dress up. 
I think that is becoming less and less of a thing. Um, typically, when I was in those situations, um, the professor was <laughs> often an older white man. Most of the other professors were like, I just want you to be comfortable. Show up with what you feel comfortable in. Worry about your presentation. But again, if you're going to show up for a job interview, you should probably dress a bit more professional. Rep jeans might not be the way you want to go. But again, it's not anything to do with self-respect or morality. It's just simply about what's appropriate. Absolutely. And maybe it's that we think about what clothing communicates other than self-respect or morality. Yeah. Wearing heels and a suit or heels and a blazer for a presentation at school communicates that you take it seriously. It communicates that you are bringing polish. It's a formal event. Wearing sweats communicates something else. And that communication is real, but it's not necessarily about self-respect. It's not necessarily about morality. And I'm here laughing because in my mom's world, wearing a pair of heels made you a slut. Oh, see? <laughs> and and truly, um, probably in my 30s, I started wearing heels like it was all I could do. And I loved it. <laughs> I don't do it as much. But heels can truly give you a sense of power and and um, confidence. There's nothing quite like a good pair of shoes. And when I say good, like sharp, fancy, sparkling, uh, my favorite pair was a four inch of gold sparkling heels. They were they were amazing. At the same time. I struggle knowing how often women are expected to wear heels and are uncomfortable and their feet hurt and men get by with these boring black business shoes. So, you know, it's all in choosing what makes you comfortable, what makes you feel confident and what you want to do. But I do think it's funny how on one end of the spectrum, wearing a pair of heels can have you termed to be a slut. And in another world, if you don't wear heels, you're not considered professional. And that's sad. Well, it is. And, and I think it speaks to the way that whether we like it or not, clothes do communicate something. Right. And 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 I think the more that we can pick up on what they mean, the more we can use clothing as a way to communicate, right? So we're not saying that clothing doesn't matter. We're not saying that clothing doesn't communicate or that it's we shouldn't think about it at all. We're saying it can be an expression of yourself. It can be an expression of how you feel about the activity you're doing. And it's not a reflection of your moral or self-respect. Yeah, it's it's not a reflection of your morality or your self-respect. Yeah. yeah. So shall we talk about a few practical bits of advice that we've learned over the years since we Maybe. are kind of fashion fashionistas we're totally yes. fashionistas yes absolutely we are <laughs> <laughs> follow me for more lies <laughs> you know i think so much about fashion is about wearing something with confidence and it has so much less to do with the precise style nothing wears quite as well as confidence 
even if you think about people in our churches growing up who introduced new styles, they simply did something different with confidence. And I think it's so much about making something work for you, not something working for you. Agreed. Sometimes we only figure out what that is by trying on lots of things. And for me, this is where thrift stores come in so handy because you can try things out. And sometimes you try things out in the fitting room and you go, oh, this is this is going to be great. And then it hangs in your closet and (laughs) you never actually wear it. You only find that out through trial and error. This can especially be helpful because while on one hand, it can be helpful to have someone whose fashion we look up to. I love fashion blogs, like kind of everyday fashion blogs. For this reason, you get outfit ideas, outfit of the day ideas. I'm thinking back to like the 2010s when these kinds of things, you know, they were not not professionals, right? They were just regular everyday people posting their outfits. But the tricky thing is that what can look fabulous on someone else doesn't always look fabulous when we put it on. And that's where trying things on is the only way to really discover what works and what doesn't. On that note, I think we should allow ourselves to make some unfortunate fashion choices. Expect them. Yeah. Yes. And again, some people get to make those choices when they're kids and we're doing it as adults. So again, on that note, Let's expect them from ourselves and others and not judge it quite so harshly. I've found, and I think these might be more in the Midwest, there's a secondhand store called Clothes Mentor. Um, They have like a Play-Doh's closet for younger kids, but they have pretty amazing clothing and their employees don't mind helping you pick out things either, at least not at mine. And oftentimes, their employees, you can kind of pick someone who has an outfit you really like, and you're like, hey, will you help me? And oftentimes, those people know what they're doing. That sounds like the organization I worked for for a while between undergrad and grad school. It was a nonprofit organization. We took donated clothing and set it up in a boutique style store. And then we promoted it as uh, interview-ready clothing for low-income women entering the workforce. And actually, so I was just talking about thrift stores, but it might be worth checking out something like this. So volunteers would be like the personal shopper for the clients who came in, mm-hmm. but and they were not necessarily fashionistas, but they were professional women who had experience dressing for the professional workplace. And that's something that might be worth checking out to see if it's in your community or not. I think the other thing that I found really difficult is, so I came from this very scripted, you know, you need to wear this, you need to wear this, you can't wear this, to the sky was the limit. You had so many options. I mean, there are a thousand different pair of jeans you can try if you want. And I found it so overwhelming. And I found that less is more. Find a couple basic colors that work for you and stick with it. I end up wearing a lot of black and a lot of gray simply because I don't want to think. It's one thing I don't want to think about. 
but I can also feel somewhat confident without having to think about it. That kind of leads into capsule wardrobes, and you can find Pinterest boards that have ideas. But I think taking note of what you see someone else wearing or what you see online and just taking note of what you like and then trying it on is such a freeing experience because it, first of all, allows you to be like, oh, I like that. And then you can decide if you like it on or if I like it on me, because I might like it on someone else, but determine I don't necessarily like it on myself. And that's okay. Right. And I think that's good practice for listening to ourselves, for for paying attention to what our eye is drawn to. And instead of just glazing over that, following up on that with curiosity and saying, what, what is it about that outfit? Is it the cut? Is it the style? Is it the color? Is it the arrangement? What is it? And when we can pinpoint it, then we can go try it out for ourselves. And I had left the Mennonites for far too long before I understood the magic of a cami. I don't think these are quite as popular as they were several years ago, but kind of sheer shirts that you'd wear a cami underneath were really popular. And it took me far too long to realize they were wearing a cami underneath. And and guys, there should be classes for those of us that leave the Mennonites. Like, really, there should be classes. But since there aren't, just be kind to yourself. But camis will also um, allow you to wear something a little bit more low cut that you might be a little bit uncomfortable with. And it helps cover your cleavage. So do you guys remember those dickies that we used to wear? Why were they called dickies? Lace dickies. Do you not remember it, Naomi? Oh, I remember those. I didn't get to wear them because I think they were around before I could wear them. But I remember them. Yes. They were horrible. And I wore them. Well, the idea, they, they looked clever. They, but yeah, I can they imagine. Did. Did. I can imagine that they would they would shift and and not yes. lace. And they were itchy and yeah. and yeah. I think I'm really dating myself on that one. Um, <laughs> but I did away with the lace dickies again. Why were they called lace dickies? I I don't understand that one. It took me a long time to understand there there was an option of a cami. The other thing is quite honestly, if you're small chested, a good cami can have a lot of support as well. Right. I remember when I discovered camis was when I was wearing a low cut shirt. I spent the whole evening trying to keep it from gaping. And I was going, why is this so hard? Is everyone else walking around trying to keep their shirt from gaping? And then at some point I realized, oh, you can layer. Layering. Yeah. Yeah. Layering is great. (laughs) Anybody who has come out of, say, conservative, fundamental evangelicalism knows all about layering. But that's a whole other thing. Are you talking about the superwoman cape? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm talking about the layering that goes with like, say, the long denim skirt look. Oh, yeah. Right. And, And again, just those conversations right there. I went from needing to wear a cape to trying to deal with lace dickies to being like, oh my God, there's such a thing as a cami. So be 
kind to yourself and be kind to others. The other thing I'm learning is be okay with not understanding something. I I am 20 years out and I still don't understand necklaces. I don't understand them. They make me itchy. They make me hot. And so I wear big earrings and I'm cool with it. And I think it's okay sometimes just to let things go. If that particular thing doesn't do anything for you, instead of fighting it, move on. If heels don't do it for you, buy yourself a cute pair of flats, whatever. Pick what makes you feel confident. Because again, there's nothing like a shifting lace dicky or a gaping shirt that kills confidence. And makes you intensely self-conscious. Right. Which, right. which is such a killer for meeting people, for right. getting to know other people. I mean, you need to be free from being worried about your own appearance to be able to focus on others and really develop those relationships. Right. Another option when we don't get something, as you put it, is to ask someone who does say wear a necklace well. Right someone who does do that thing in a way that you admire and ask them about it. It'll be a compliment to them. They'll be flattered that you noticed. And that can also open doors to new friendships. Absolutely. I think another tricky thing is learning how to mix and match. Mixing and matching is a great way to extend your wardrobe, especially if you stick to a few basic colors, like you were saying just a minute ago. But there's an art to, say, wearing a dressier jacket blazer over a pair of jeans that can look professional. And so you can do that. But it also, you know, it depends what pair of jeans you're wearing. You know, is it a dark wash or a lighter wash? So not all jeans are created equal. So I think being aware of that can be helpful so that if you're trying something and you go, wait, this is not working. I don't know what it is. Trust your gut. And maybe later, maybe down the road, you'll see something and you'll go, oh, that's why that didn't work. But it's more an art than a science. Sometimes it's hard to put your finger on what it is. And I've many times in that kind of a situation, just taking a picture of the outfit and text it to a friend or two who knows their fashion and just ask, what's wrong with this outfit? Or does this outfit work? And am I just struggling to feel comfortable in it? Mm -hmm. Those types of conversations have taught me a lot too, because sometimes I do think an outfit actually does work, but because it's new for you, you're uncomfortable and therefore don't feel confident. Right. So you can kind of have both things going on. And there's nothing wrong with you or fundamentally broken when you feel like you're lost. I mean, sometimes we really are lost. The day I first got my hair cut, I was feeling quite good about life. I looked cute. It was wonderful. But then I went to bed and woke up and I kind of had a panic attack because I realized I knew nothing about a hair curler or a flat iron. So again, Ask your hairdresser a lot of questions. Ask your friends a lot of questions. And again, 
my flat iron and I are friends finally, but my hair curler and I still aren't friends. We've broken up and I'm good with it. But most females learn the art of a hair curler and flat iron when they're 13, when they're 16. And it's okay if you're in your 30s struggling to learn it. It's okay. It's okay. And I want to I want to put in a recognition that sometimes you ask someone to show you and they show you and it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Other times you ask someone and they take you under your wing and they treat you like you're 13 years old or you're their new project. That doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. So I think that's really important and it's okay to pay attention to that. Right. Decide who gets to know about your vulnerabilities. Yeah. Who can be trusted. Absolutely. And protect yourself. The other thing I'm kind of learning is the cues are there. And, and you know, the cues are there both in the Mennonite community and outside. And I've found typically outside those cues tend to be less hostile. But most of us are really good at reading cues. I mean, especially as females, I think we've learned to read the room quite well. And we can learn to read the room, read the cues outside of our plain community as well. Sometimes there's a bit of a learning curve of I'm reading the cues, I'm seeing it, I don't know what to do with those cues. And typically, again, there are ways to ask questions about what you're observing. And even Google will be a friend to you about these things. Sometimes Reddit is a good place to go because we're not alone in our attempts to make sense of the world we exist in. Right. Because fashion changes so fast. <laughs> right. Others are adapting too. I mean, maybe they caught it the last time it came around, but usually there's some new element to it that makes it new for others as well, not just ourselves. Absolutely. You know, something that I've become aware of is how compliments are used socially outside of the playing communities. It took me a while. I was maybe slow on the uptake with some of the social cues. That when someone gave me a compliment, it's not just that they like the color of my sweater. It's that it was a way to open a conversation. It was a way to express warmth and make a connection. And I've had to make a conscious effort to give compliments. It's so easy for me to think them and not get them out. But in the same way that it can be a conversation starter when someone compliments something I'm wearing. Uh, it can work the other way too. And along with that is learning how to accept a compliment, how to say thank you and not give in to that sense of guilt that we are being prideful by accepting it. That's something I've struggled with. Being able to see it as a gift. The compliment is a gift. The compliment is an overture of friendship rather than as a judgment of myself, because ultimately we're all already worthy. That's so true. And I think a compliment is a way to see other people. 
Right. And I don't individuality. Yeah. And that's not something that has always been appreciated in our world. So when I view myself and others, if we can replace the criticism with curiosity and, and kindness, I think it makes the whole idea of what do I wear less fraught. I think sometimes it's not only or so much about what I wear or don't wear, but so much to do with the way I think about what I wear. And what if we could think about our own clothing choices and other other people's clothing choices just with curiosity and with kindness? And if we like it, say we like it. Along with approaching our clothing choices with curiosity, I think about approaching it with a spirit of play. Like with play, we're trying different things to see what happens. We don't have a predetermined outcome that we are aiming for like we do when we are working. And it opens up that element of surprise. It opens up that element of, huh, I wonder what would happen if. And I think this is something that many of us need a lot of practice in, but I think it can bring a lot of joy to this part of our lives as well. And I think that would change not just our inner dialogue, but it would change our relationship with others. Because here's the truth. I don't have to be, you don't have to be perfect to be accepted and loved, and neither do others. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And we can belong just as we are. spending time with us today. The resources and materials we've mentioned are linked in the show notes and on Facebook at Uncovered Life Beyond. What are your thoughts about college and recovery from high demand religion? We know you have your own questions and experiences, and we want to talk about the topics that matter to you. Share them with us at UncoveredLifeBeyond at gmail.com. That's UncoveredLifeBeyond at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's show and found value in it, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app. This helps others find the show. While you're there, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, stay brave, stay bold, stay awkward. Stay awkward.